Section 13 of the Epidemics of the Middle Ages by Eustace Hecke, translated by Benjamin Guy Babington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Dancing Mania, Translator's Preface Dr. Hecke's account of the Black Death, having in its English translation met with a favorable reception, I am led to believe that the Dancing Mania, a similar production by the same able writer, will also prove acceptable. Should this be the case, it is my intention to complete the series by translating the history of the sweating sickness, the only remaining epidemic considered by our author to belong to the Middle Ages. The mind and the body reciprocally and mysteriously affect each other, and the maladies which are the subject of these pages are so intimately connected with the disordered state of both that it is often difficult to determine on which they more essentially depend or which they more seriously influence. The physician will probably be led by their contemplation to admit that the imagination has a larger share in the production of disease than he might, without a knowledge of the striking facts here recorded, have supposed to be within the limits of possibility. He has, no doubt, already observed that joy will affect the circulation, grief the digestion, that anger will heat the frame as perniciously as ardent spirits, and that fear will chill it as certainly as ice. But he may not have carried his observation to the extent of perceiving that not only single and transient effects, but specific diseases, are produced through the agency of mental impressions, and he may therefore still be surprised to find that the dances of St. John and of St. Vitus, as they formerly spread by sympathy from city to city, gave rise to the same deviations from bodily health in all the individuals whom they attacked. That tarantism was the same disease, whether medically or morally considered, all over Italy, and that the lycanthropia of the past and the leaping ague of the present times have each its respective train of peculiar symptoms. The moralist will view these records of human frailty in a different light. He will examine the state of society which favored the propagation of such maladies. He will inquire how far they have been the offspring of the ages in which they appeared. And although he may not be disposed to think with our author that they can never return, he will at least deduce from the facts here laid before him that they originate in those minds, whether ignorant or ill-educated, in which the imagination is permitted to usurp the power of sober sense, and the ideal is allowed to occupy the thoughts to the exclusion of the substantial. That such minds are most frequently to be met with in an age of ignorance we should naturally suppose and we are borne out in that supposition by the fact that these diseases have been declining in proportion to the advance of knowledge. But credulity and enthusiasm are not incompatible with a high degree of civilization. And if among the educated classes the female sex is more sentimental than the male, and the affluent are more credulous than those who are dependent on their own exertions for their support, it is to be accounted for by the fact that they usually devote 
more leisure to the pleasurable contemplation of works of imagination, and are less imperatively called on to improve their judgment by the dry study of facts, and the experience acquired in the serious business of life. But there is no class, even in this age of boasted reason, wholly exempt from the baneful influence of fanaticism, and instances are not wanting in our own days and in this very capital to prove that disorders, how can we more charitably designate them, much resembling some of those described in the following pages, may make their appearance among people who have had all the advantages of an enlightened education and every opportunity of enlarging their minds by a free intercourse with refined society. I thus venture to hope that by bestowing a leisure hour on this small portion of medical history, the physician may enlarge his knowledge of disease, and the moralist may gather a hint for the intellectual improvement of his fellow men. The author has, however, a more extended object in view. The histories of particular epidemies are with him but the data from which we are to deduce the general laws that govern human health in the aggregate. Whether there be such an entity as collective organic life, and whether, as a consequence, there exist general laws which regulate its healthy or morbid condition, I do not here undertake to determine. But the notion is peculiar, and in order that it may be more fully exposed to the reader, I have translated as an introduction to the present volume an appeal which Dr. Hecke has made to the medical profession of his own country for assistance in his undertaking. If in the course of the remarks contained in this address he has been somewhat severe in his censure of the neglect, both in his country and in France, of the study of medical history, I freely confess myself to be one of those who are more anxious to profit by his castigation than to dispute its justice. I have added a few notes, which I trust will be found not inapplicable. They consist chiefly of parallel accounts in illustration of what is set forth in the text. And with the same view, I have thrown together in number five of the appendix some histories of local epidemics, and have referred to some single cases which seem to me to have a peculiar interest in connection with the subject of this work, and to render it, on the whole, more complete. End of section 13